All right, seventh and final lesson on how to be led by God. And this lesson where we're going to look at the word of the Lord and the supreme voice of the Father. And so we've been working this way for six weeks. This will culminate and complete our lessons on this. So let's jump in because we have a few pages on this guy. Uh, we have come to the final two leadings of God Almighty, and these will complete our pyramid diagram, as we looked at, I think, last week, and we have included the pyramid diagram again. This is something I developed because it just seemed to fit uh, about what we can expect the foundation to be and the, the widest leadings of God. And then as we go up this pyramid, they decrease in frequency. And I don't want to say that they increase in superiority, because the Bible says he's exalted his word even above his own name. And the word is the Bible. The word is the flesh. The word made flesh is Jesus. And so we're back into this giant complexity of the Trinity. And, and God is God. And he is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. So we, for the sake of these lessons and our understanding, we're kind of like compartmentalizing and pulling everything apart. And then when we let go of this, after this lesson, it all slam back together again. And we'll just be led by God. All right. Remember, according to the diagram here, the higher we go up the pyramid, the less frequent the leading will be. We'll certainly see that today. Accordingly, the most common leading God has given us is his word, the Bible, and that's why you need to know it. You need to know your Bible. You need to know your Bible. You need to know your Bible. If you haven't heard from God in a while, you're telling off on yourself. It's because you haven't opened your Bible in a while. Every time you open up your Bible, God is speaking to you. It may not be spectacular, but it is divinely supernatural. Uh, the least common is what we are calling the supreme voice of the Father speaking from heaven. Of course, the Father speaks today, but not always from heaven. We'll cover that in this lesson. So there's our diagram of the pyramid at the top, the supreme voice of the Father, followed by the word of the Lord, then ministers, then the Holy Spirit, then peace, then wisdom, then the Bible or the word of God. Ultimately, these are all the work of the same God, and we want to be very clear on that. We're not talking about different gods. It's one God, but he manifests differently. And even if I say that, some hardcore, diehard Trinitarians will call that heresy. If I say the Trinity is God manifesting in different forms, because that's modalism, which is a heresy. But please have mercy on our semantics. We are a very illiterate generation. Never has a generation been this ignorant, yet had so much knowledge at the tips of their fingers. Ultimately, these are all the work of the same God, whether it be his word, which is the son of God, but the word is God breathed, or it's his wisdom, which is revealed by the spirit of wisdom, which is the Holy Spirit, or peace as given by the prince of peace, yet it's the third fruit of the spirit. So we're already seeing the overlapping complexity of this, or the Holy Spirit, who is the third person himself, or ministers who are given by Jesus, according to Ephesians 4, but anointed by the Holy Spirit. Or the word of the Lord, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself directly speaking, bypassing the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And then the voice of the Father, which of course is God Almighty from his throne in heaven. So hopefully over the course of these last few weeks, you're picking up what we're trying to communicate. It's making sense to you. We're distinguishing, we're compartmentalizing as it were. And yet when we step back, it's all God himself speaking to us through many avenues. These are seven distinct ways in which God has chosen to lead us because he loves us and desires to see us live victorious and finish our race. Uh, if you stop to think about it, if God has revealed seven ways he speaks to us, there's no reason every single Christian on planet Earth should not finish their race. 
And yet the reason we won't if we don't is because we don't stop and listen to what he's leading. Whether that's in the word, whether that's wisdom, whether that's through peace, whether that's through the direct leading of the Holy Spirit or through his preachers or the word of the Lord or the Father himself. So let's look at the word of the Lord and we'll make a distinction about that. I remember Pastor Vaughn briefly in one sentence years ago saying this statement that I, had, I grabbed a hold of and began to experience the distinction concerning the word of the Lord. And we'll get into that here. The word of the Lord is spoken of over 225 times in the Old Testament. And it is usually in reference to the Lord or Jehovah speaking to his servants, the prophets. That's the most common use of the word of the Lord. And so we know with that, it's going to be a, a higher form in that we should not expect to have the word of the Lord spoken to us divinely like the prophets did and do every day in our life. Now, we are also mindful that under the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, they didn't have a Bible such as we have. Now, under the New Testament, Book of Acts, they had the Old Testament. They had Torah and the Moses and the prophets. And so they had that speaking to them. But under the Old Testament, they were still writing. For the longest time, all they had were the, was the Torah, and that was after Moses wrote it. And even then, it was read to them once a year. Nobody had their own copy because... It was a lot of work. Even in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, nobody had their own copy of the Old Testament. It was kept in the synagogue, and the scrolls were delivered to the ruler of the synagogue, who we would call a pastor, and he would read them and then teach and exegete or expound upon. So the word of the Lord is a, is a very, I don't want to say high-ranking, because I don't want people to think they're super special if God gives it to you. Let me just let the scriptures speak for themselves, and, and hopefully it sorts itself out. It is a much more authoritative word or leading than the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. That's something Pastor Vaughn pointed out years ago, and it stuck out to me. It is a much more authoritative voice. That's why when we taught on the leading of the Holy Spirit, we pointed out that it was a still small voice. And that, if you remember our lesson, we said a lot of times, according to what Jesus taught on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit just reminds you of things. So we have a divine remembrance. That's the Holy Spirit. And he teaches you the word of God. And that's the Holy Spirit leading you. And he'll guide you into all truth. And that's the Holy Spirit. But these, that's, I don't want to say it's a lower rank, but it's a, a softer, more subtle leading than the authoritative divine word of the Lord. And as you, if you were to go study the word of the Lord, you would say many times, you would see that the prophet said, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, stand up against so-and-so, and prophesy and say, thus says the Lord. That's authoritative. In the New Testament, we're mostly led by the Holy Spirit, and it's remembering what you read in the Bible, or it's, it's you just have this knowing, and knowing, I need to go stand over here and witness to that person, or I, I feel like I need to go put my hand on them and pray for them. It's not this divinely authoritative, frees you in your tracks kind of thing, and that's okay. Let's keep reading should also be noted that the word of the Lord would often be prominent in the ministry of God's leaders in order to help the flock of God. And so I saved these last two leadings for the last because we could possibly live and die and never experience either one of them. And that's totally okay. It's totally okay. You have the Bible. You have wisdom. You have peace. 
You have the Spirit of God and you have preachers. And if you can't finish your race with those four, you don't want to. That's the biggest part of the pyramid right there. The Baptists have proven all you need is wisdom and the word and you can change the world. And we're supposed to be a lot more subtle and nuanced and have of our folks go fruitcake or get a familiar spirit listening to voices. So let's look at what the word of the Lord looks like from the Old Testament because it does carry over into the New Testament. The word of the Lord can come in a vision. And even in the New Testament, when you see visions, it's often the Lord appearing to speak to somebody. It isn't the Holy Spirit. They see the Lord Jesus himself. So in Genesis 15, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. 1 Samuel, the word of the Lord is associated with visions. Uh, 1 Samuel 3, 1 says, Now in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was no open vision. Or there was no, the, uh, the visions were of God were rare. There was no word of the Lord. And so you see the two tied interchangeably. Second Samuel, Nathan's word about Solomon's temple was given to him in the vision. And then 1 Kings 22, Micaiah calls his vision of heaven and a lying spirit the word of the Lord. He said, behold the word of the Lord that I saw in a vision. All the angels present before God. And the Lord saying, who will go and fight against Ahab for me? And a lying spirit came and said, I will go and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, go, you will prosper. That was in a vision, but it was the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord must be learned and revealed. And we see that with the boy prophet Samuel. The word of the Lord kept speaking to him, calling him by name, but he did not recognize that it was God. So this has to be learned. In fact, if Pastor Vaughn hadn't made that statement years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, I would have never looked for the difference between a vision, a trance, the word of the Lord, and the simple gift of prophecy or the word of knowledge. It would have never stood out to me. I would have never said, yeah, that, there is a lot more authority. That was a lot more authoritative than the regular leadings of God or even the gifts of the Spirit because they're called the gifts of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Lord. The word of the Lord is a way by which the Lord reveals himself. And so that's a pretty cool thing, too. And the Bible says that he revealed himself unto Samuel by the word of the Lord. One of the things we want to be mindful of is this. What we're doing right now is called an exit, not an exegetical study. It's called a theological study in, in the science of hermeneutics. When you study something in every scripture that appears on that subject, you study only those verses or you study that subject in specific. That's called a theological hermeneutic or it's called a topical study. And even in looking at these, every time the word of the Lord is referenced, the weighted average, if we can do it that way, a statistical weighted average of occurrence, most of the time the word of the Lord involves judgment. <laughs> and this is truly how you can judge a real prophet, even by today's standards. I didn't even pull, there's over 230 uses of word of the Lord. We've only covering about 20 very quickly. But even statistically in what I looked at, most of them involve judgment, or divine, very accurate uh, direction. And so a real prophet usually is not on TBN because the ones on TBN don't prophesy judgment or repentance. They prophesy prosperity. They prophesy peace, peace when the Lord says there be no peace. So most of the famous words of the Lord in the Old Testament involve judgment on God's people, judgment on God's enemy, judgment on peripheral folks. So we have some examples. The word of the Lord is often involved in judgment. Second Samuel, David was judged by Gad for numbering the people, and it was the word of the Lord. 
Remember, he took a census, and by the word of the Lord, Gad said, you get to choose your judgment. And David said, let me fall into the hands of my God because he is merciful even when I am a fool. First Kings, Jehu prophesied against Baasha by the word of the Lord. Second Kings, Elisha's judgment against Ahab and Jezebel was by the word of the Lord. Second Kings 20, Isaiah's judgment, restoration, and healing of King Hezekiah was via the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came unto him again saying, Isaiah, son of man, go and tell Hezekiah this. Jeremiah, the whole book of Jeremiah is a collection of the word of the Lord judging Israel. Jeremiah is not in a chronological order. They're out of order, but they are nothing but the word of the Lord. If you were to just do a search, the word of the Lord, you'd find most of them in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah tried to prevent captivity. Ezekiel judged Israel from captivity. I would say probably a third of the word of the Lord's are recorded in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. That's what those books are. They're major prophets. They're collections of the word of the Lord came unto me again saying, Son of man, take up lamentation against my people. Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel is a collection of judgments delivered against Israel through the word of the Lord. This is how you, you can tell a real prophet. Real prophets don't make people comfortable. Real prophets don't uh, make people feel awesome. Real prophets make people fear God. Biblically speaking, prophets usually get killed by God's people because they want puppy dogs and prosperity and uh, my best life now and my third wonderful wife because my first two weren't the will of God apparently. And the prophets of the land are all too uh, gracious to give that to them. Next point, the word of the Lord is, is a way in which the Lord gives very accurate directions. We would say, I would have to say, I would have to say judging being led by the Holy Spirit, it's not as accurate as the word of the Lord. It's not, I wouldn't say accurate, it's not as detailed. And so even under the new covenant, in the New Testament, if you have very accurate leadings of God, you might be able to judge and discern that it is the word of the Lord. Second Samuel, Nathan gave very detailed direction to David about not building the temple and about a son that would be born and complete that task. It's a very detailed prophecy, and it's 15, 20 verses long. Very accurate detail. And then ultimately, David got a vision from God about how to build that temple. That was definitely the word of the Lord because it was a blueprint about how it should look, and it was a blueprint from the temple that's in heaven. 1 Kings 13, many de detailed directions were given to an unnamed man of God in order to move against wicked King Jeroboam. He was moved towards King Jeroboam by the word of the Lord. He was told not to sit down and eat with anybody, not to sit at any table, and to directly leave and come back. Very detailed oriented. 1 Kings 17, Elijah was directed to go and hide by the brook Cherith. That was by the word of the Lord. Very direct. Not run away. Go dwell by the brook Cherith, and I will feed you by the raven's mouth. That's pretty detailed. And then when the brook dried up, the word of the Lord came unto him and saying, there's a widow I have spoken to you to, to take care of you. Go find her. Second Chronicles 11, the word of the Lord came to Shemai to Rehoboam, uh, through Shemai to Rehoboam, and it prevented an unnecessary civil war. It prevented an unnecessary uh, civil war. Very detailed. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The word of the Lord is also used to work miracles. And in that regard, when it comes unto you and you declare it, it actually kind of kicks over into special faith and it's just done. 
1 Kings 17, the widow's miracle of debt relief via an endless cruise of oil was because Elijah spoke the word of the Lord. And in that regard, if the word of the Lord is not spoken through the mouth of a human, it goes unaccomplished. And that's why the prophets had to obey. And if you have a word of the Lord, it doesn't mean you're a prophet. It just means this thing is coming unto you and you should obey it. The Bible says God does nothing except he first reveal it to his servants the prophets. That's how you can tell most of those guys on Christian television are not prophets because they're not servants. And he reveals it first to his servants, the prophets, so they can go and prophesy it so the, the Spirit of God can bring it to pass. And if the prophet doesn't obey, God will move on to somebody else and they'll prophesy it. It will get done, but it has to be spoken into the earth. Second, Chronic, uh, Second Kings 20, Hezekiah's healing and the sun going backwards 10 degrees was according to the word of the Lord. Think about that. The word of the Lord said, prove to Hezekiah that I'll give him 15 years. And the prophet says, which is harder for the sun to go forward 10 degrees or to go backward? And Hezekiah says, it's harder to go backwards. And Isaiah says, then it will go backwards. That was by the word of the Lord. Can you imagine God causing the earth? And we believe this because we're believers. To me, this is not a difficult thing. To God, it's a marble. He just made it go back 10 degrees. And they could watch the, the sundial click backwards or the shadows click backwards. Only God could do that. That was a miracle done by the word of the Lord. Pretty cool. Makes us want to draw, uh, draw a little closer to Jesus and maybe he would use us a little more. Generally speaking, let's look at this now. The word of the Lord made the heavens. It's pretty cool. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. He spoke it. The word of the Lord tries mankind, tests you, it proves you. Remember, God spoke to Abraham, says, Abraham, here am I, Lord. That was the word of the Lord. Go up now, take thy son, thy only son Isaac, into a mountain that I will show you, and there offer him as a burnt sacrifice unto me. That's pretty detailed. It's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord requires actions. And now this is something else we need to understand. Most of the time when the word of the Lord was spoken in the Old Testament, it required whoever was hearing to do something. Do this, do that. In fact, that's what Isaiah 28 says. The word of the Lord is unto them, precept upon precept. NIV says, do this, do that. Go here, go there. It's precepts and rules. When the word of the Lord comes unto you, you have to obey it. Otherwise, you are Jonah. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah. And what did he do? The opposite. In case you didn't know, the word of the Lord coming unto you does not declare opposite day. And every time he went to go somewhere, the word of the Lord kept rebuking him, and he just kept going and going and going. The word of the Lord often asks questions. We've been studying that quite thoroughly on Wednesday nights. And let me regard, give you that. If the Lord has ever asked you a question, we could probably discern that as the word of the Lord and not necessarily the Holy Spirit leading you. So that should encourage you. Over and over again, the word of the Lord came unto men of God saying, Son of man, why this? Why that? That's the word of the Lord asking you a question. Why did you say this? Why did you do that? He knows the answer, but all through the Old Testament, when a question was asked, it was the Lord God Almighty. Not the Father, not the Spirit, the Lord God Almighty. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That's the Lord. The word of the Lord cannot be controlled, as in, you can't turn it off. You can't turn it on. It comes when it comes, and if you quench it, it goes to somebody else until it's released there. 
And the other deal, the word of the Lord can produce a tremendous burden on whoever has it until you prophesy it, until you declare it. Sometimes the Lord speaks to you and you don't even want to know what he just said to you because now you're responsible for it. That should really extinguish a lot of this wannabe prophet junk because I'm telling you, you don't want to know what God knows. And if you want to know it so you can be like the little church diva or like the little church guru, you're a fool. And that's all just Christian television and Christian entertainment anyway. Most words of the Lord come in private and are carried out in private. And if, if you want to showboat with it, God's probably not talking to you. So that's the Old Testament foundation. And honestly, with 230, 240 uses of the word of the Lord, we could cover that a lot more thoroughly. I just wanted to give you some high points. As I was studying them, I was seeing patterns. So we lumped them together. In fact, let me review that real quick. The word of the Lord comes in a, can come in a vision. The word of the Lord must be learned. The word of the Lord is how he reveals himself. The word of the Lord often invokes judgment. The word of the Lord gives very accurate details and directions. The word of the Lord is used to work miracles. And so we see some things there that are kind of beyond the job description the Lord gave concerning the Holy Spirit's ministry. All right? Now I understand the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, but the Lord Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and yet it was all according to the will of the Father. So we get the complexity and the interwovenness of this all, but I'm a scientist and I like to distinguish between vertebrae and invertebrae, between metamorphic and igneous and sedimentary, and then clastic sedimentary and chemical sedimentary. Why? Because you can. All right. In the New Testament, though the Holy Spirit does speak to us on behalf of the Lord Jesus, and that's what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 16, he will not speak of himself, or he will not glorify himself, but he will speak what he's received of me, and therefore he'll glorify me, Jesus said. Even though the Holy Spirit does do most of the speaking for the Lord, because that's how the Lord Jesus wants it, there are times when Jesus does things from his own authority. Why? It's because he saw fit. He's the head of the church, and he's going to do what he's going to do. We have no, I have no understanding to give you on that. We don't argue with it. We honestly don't care if it comes through the scripture highlighted by the Holy Spirit, if it comes through a prophecy given by a preacher, if it comes through the word preached and the Holy Ghost nails us with it. We don't care how it comes. It all is the same to us. And that's maybe how we need to step back and look at this. When I was a young geologist and I was representing our firm to the Department of Transportation for this big project we were working on. I was in these weekly planning meetings because we were constructing 28, 29 new bridges through this downtown interchange. And so I'm the project geologist to the DOT, but I represent my company on behalf of the geotechnical division. And so we, we would represent and I would give our recommendations. Now, I didn't make all the recommendations. I did a lot of the rock stuff, and I worked with the engineer. So most of the time, the recommendations were the two of us working together or him or him running a math CAD template. Really, <laughs> that's what it was. And the DOT didn't care that it was Chris McMichael speaking. They didn't care that I was representing a guy named James Vinson, who was my coworker for many years, or that we represent the geotechnical department. They just cared that somebody with authority said, we can build here or we're going to have to dig deeper here. 
And, and when it was all said and done, we represented the company, WSA. So when it went down on record, though I was the voice and the mouthpiece, and I was representing the geotechnical department under the civil engineering department, it was always recorded, WSA gives this recommendation. Though there's about seven chains of command, I'm just the little mouthpiece, because I'm the one who can go to those meetings most frequently. Plus, I, I got eyes on the site. So even though it's my mouthpiece, I still represent WSA. And even if it's the Bible, it represents the will of the Father. Even if it's the preacher, it's typically the will of the Father. We, we do give nuances there where preachers get off. I understand that. Even if it's the Holy Spirit, it's the will of the Father. And so we understand this chain of command. And so there you go. Sometimes the Lord does what he wants to do, and he bypasses the Holy Spirit. He'll even bypass the word, though he'll never contradict it. When the word of the Lord comes, it's typically because it's not written in the Scriptures. This may be why the word of the Lord is perhaps more rare today than it was in biblical times because they didn't have the scriptures we do. And, and quite honestly, as I've taught you this over the last decade or so, if I am prophesying by the spirit of God, if I am giving a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, I try to find scripture. I try to translate it because if I'm missing it, if it's a familiar spirit, then they do move in services. I want to at least give you the more sure word of prophecy, the Bible, so that even if I'm not hearing from God or maybe I'm hearing your heart, I'm at least going to give you a scripture back for your heart, and we can't go wrong quoting scripture. Amen. All right. Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus is a theophany. That's a theological term that means a divine appearance of God. A divine appearance that I think, interestingly enough, left him blind. So he sees Jesus, and then he's blind. And for that reason, I say, Lord, I don't need to see you just yet. We can wait till we're face to face. <laughs> this word of the Lord asked Paul a question. Why are you persecuting me? So we see here that even in the New Testament, this word of the Lord fulfills Old Testament parameters. It can occur in a vision. It can, it's going to ask a question. And then it went on to give specific directions. Go to the street named Straight and inquire and there pray and uh, they're going to take care of you there. And then the same thing happened to Ananias, who was in Damascus at that time. And the word of the Lord came unto him in a vision and said, Go inquire here. There's a man named Saul of Tarsus. Lay hands on him. He'll receive his sight. He is seen in a vision, you coming and laying hands on him. And, and Ananias argues, Lord, I know this guy. He persecutes us. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? Both of them are having a word of the Lord through a vision for very specific directions. And the Lord had to do that because there's no scripture for those detailed activities. Ananias' vision concerning Saul of Tarsus is a word of the Lord in the form of a vision providing both direction and very accurate instruction. So there's another example of the word of the Lord. In scripture, Paul's commandment toward the married believers in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 10 and the revelation of the resurrection of the dead, as in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, are both self-described as the word of the Lord. Now, that seems a little contradictory because every epistle is the word of God. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, I, he says, I, uh, I say unto you, yet not I, but the Lord commands you. And then in 1 Thessalonians, he says, uh, now we say unto you by the word of the Lord concerning them that are asleep, that you uh, mourn not as those that have no hope. For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout. And he goes on to talk about the rapture. He says, by the word of the Lord, we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So how is that? That's interesting to me. He's, 
he's inspired of God to write this first Thessalonian epistle, but he gets towards the end. He says, but what we're about to say is even more authoritative. This part we say by the word of the Lord. Go sort that out. You think every one of them would begin, thus says the word of the Lord unto the church at Colossae or Galatia or Ephesus. Today, the word of the Lord is often called, it's often mistranslated, we might say, the word of knowledge or word of wisdom or prophecy. And we've, we've seen it. Even sometimes I'll stop and say, hear the word of the Lord, because I can hear it very clearly. And we might lump that together as prophecy. And I don't know if I can split hairs on that so much. There is the simple gifts of the Spirit, we might say, simple gift of prophecy. And then there's a time when it's just so much more authoritative. And that may seem odd to you, but if you ever are used in them, you understand the difference. Being led by the Holy Spirit is very subtle. It's very gentle. It's almost like a, if I say a breeze, you're going to think every time you feel a breeze, it's the Holy Spirit. But if we'll use wind, for example, the leadings of the Holy Spirit are very gentle. And then the word of the Lord is more of a strong gust with stuff hitting you. And you're almost having to lean into it. And then you get to the supreme voice of the Father. It almost just pulverizes you into the ground, as it were, because it's so much weightier. So let me give some personal experiences of the word of the Lord as a Christian and a minister, because I've experienced the word of the Lord, and you will too. But if you don't, you still have four other levels of this pyramid. And if you can't complete your race with four levels of leadings, you don't want to. I've had numerous experiences with the word of the Lord. Six months into pastoring, I had a burden one evening to pray. We were still in the apartment. I said, turn off the television. My wife said, why? I said, we got to pray. She doesn't have the burden I do. I just, I, we need to pray. I know by the spirit of God, we need to go pray. I have no idea about what. So we went to the back bedroom. Uh, my wife and I left our living room and went to a bedroom to pray after only about 10 minutes of praying in tongues. In fact, she stopped me at one point. We were praying in tongues. I pulled her down. We're on our hands and knees. We're facing the closet. We're praying in tongues. She said, what are we praying for? I said, I don't know. Just pray in tongues. Help me. That's what you're supposed to do. Look pretty and help me. <laughs> Close your eyes. Let's pray. And so we, we continued to pray in tongues. And honestly, it was only about 10 minutes. The word of the Lord came unto me very clearly. It was not the Holy Spirit, though it was by the Holy Spirit. It was very authoritative. And the Lord said, resign the zinc mine in September. This was about March, so six months out, and, and go to Africa. I'd been praying about going to that first trip to Africa in fall of that year. He said, go to Africa it'll begin in Africa. I still don't know what it will begin in Africa meant, but he said, go to Africa. I knew, okay, we were praying about going on the trip to South Africa and Botswana. I didn't have direction yet. That gave it. Stop praying at that point because when you know, you're just, you're done. It was so authoritative. You just couldn't mistake it. This was a very authoritative word. When our church passed through divine judgment in 2010, and by divine judgment, I say, whoa, Nelly. Time came to a crawl for that month. We only had one visitor, and it was a lady who had come to this church years before. She used to work in a local store. She was going through hell on earth, and she showed up on a Sunday night, came in late. We laid hands on her, and she left, and we, I've never seen her again. That's the only visitor we had the entire month of January 2010. It was heavy, heavy judgment. But during that season... When what kicked off that season was I heard the word of the Lord clearly say unto me, I am done with this church for the abundance of sin and perversion. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak like that because the Holy Spirit is not the head of the church. 
the Lord Jesus is the head of the church. And so the Holy Spirit's not going to say, I'm, I'm done with this church. It was the Lord. And it was so clear and so authoritative. I instantly said, Lord, have mercy. You know we've been sold a false bill of goods here. It's all I could say. I had to intercede and stand in the gap. I, got, I cried out to God for mercy. He gave us a one-month extension. And so I, I looked at the watch when he said, I will, it, we, if you were there in that service, it was a Sunday night. That happened. The, the Lord saying, I'm done with this church. That happened during pre-service prayer that I was leading. We spent the next three hours interceding or so for this church. And it took three hours for the Lord to say, I'll give you a month. Because I kept saying, Lord, I can't turn this ship around. I can't. St- These are good people. They'll do anything I teach. I, but I can't turn this thing around. You have to give me some mercy. You've got you to gotta give me some mercy. It took three hours of begging and pleading, interceding before the Lord said one simple word, I'll give you one month. I'll give you one month. So I looked at my watch and I happened to pull up the little, I had a Blackberry then and I could see that one month put us back on a Wednesday night. So I thought, Lord God, you'll visit us again in a month and either we pass the test or we're done. And so after that month, uh, it was a very long, miserable, heavy, convicting, no encouragement in that month. No, en- no encouragement, no hope, no optimism, no hugs, no kisses, just love. Just biblical love, none of this narcissistic social media love. What I was appreciative of is that every service was miserable. Every service, we knew we were sinful, wicked, perverted, and God was disgusted with us. Because if he doesn't put that kind of pressure on you, you'll think you're okay. And you're not. You're still deceived. So to come to service after service and we get hammered and flamethrown and, and bombed and just ripped through our soul, we're not done. God is, we're not what he wants us to be yet. We have not fully repented yet. So he gave us a one-month extension after a month of judgment and severe repentance. The word of the Lord came unto me again that Wednesday night. I came in here that Wednesday knowing this is it. I don't know what to expect, but the Lord said, we hadn't heard from him in a whole month. All we'd heard from was the preacher. We hadn't heard from the Lord in a whole month. And I have no idea how that night's going to go. Folks would text me throughout the week, Pastor, are we going to make it? I don't know. My wife and I would go on dates. We'd both be miserable the whole day because the, the, the pressure the conviction, the anger of God goes with us everywhere we go. We were miserable as pastors that whole month. No pleasure to be had in anything, no joy. Sackcloth and ashes spiritually because God is ticked. Ain't no buddy Jesus when he's ticked. So I came in that Wednesday night and four o'clock and I began to pray in here and I pray. I think we had service till nine o'clock that night and I laid right here on the floor for five hours interceding for our church and finally it broke. Actually, at one point, I could perceive, and this has never happened to me before or since, I had my eyes closed, I could perceive the Lord Jesus Christ himself walking up and down our aisles, judging us, which was terrifying because you don't know what he's going to find. He hasn't revealed what he's found yet. In fact, Brett told me that night, I told him what I experienced he said, I heard very clearly the, the, the Lord say, he that judges the hearts and the church walks among you now. That's what he heard by the word of the Lord. I've, I can feel Jesus walking. I never felt that before. It's always the Holy Spirit. He's the helper of the church. When God shows up in our church, don't, don't mistake it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not the Lord. It's not the Father. They're seated in heavenly places. But he walked among us like he did in Revelation to judge the candlesticks. In this case, it was us. 
So after five hours, I hear the Lord very clearly say, this church shall stand for the people were kept back from coming to me. We, we changed our heart. We changed our attitude in that month. And the Lord rolled all the blame back on previous administration. And I would not want to be with them on judgment day. And then he began to show me scriptures. Actually, after that whole month, he began to walk with me through the major prophets and everything he spoke to me during that month and during that judgment, he had already said to one of the major prophets concerning Israel. And that was the Holy Spirit leading me through the scriptures because he will lead you in all truth. So the uh, next one. All right, I got a little heavy there. The night we ordained the Scudder family. Let me back up and say that, by the way, is why I preach so hard. And I make no apologies for it. And if people come to this church can't handle it, they are welcome to go to a lesser church. But when you perceive the Lord of God, Lord of glory, the, the second member person of the Godhead, walk in your church angry, you're not going to mess that up again. You'll burn the whole church to the ground if he tells you to with a road flare and diesel fuel. And so people just, I suppose, aren't very real to me, especially you have these kind of encounters. I mean, Lord, whatever you want, these people will come and go, and they have proven me right for the last 10 years. Folks have come and gone since we went through judgment. And most of those that left are living in hell anyway. Sinful pagans, barely born again if they even make heaven. All right, next one. The night we ordained the Scudder family for missionary work in Africa. We, it was a corporate prayer service. It was a Friday night. I unexpectedly but clearly heard the word of the Lord say unto me, we're praying, we're just pacing like we do on corporate prayer nights. And the word of the Lord came unto me and said, separate unto me uh, Brett and Bobby for the work where and to have called them. And I struggled with that for the next hour because I thought that meant they go to Africa tomorrow because that's how I always read Acts 13. And I wrestled with that. And I said, okay, Lord, you keep telling me that. I hear that very clearly. In fact, when he says separate unto me, that's Jesus speaking. You can tell by the personal pronoun. For the work whereunto I've called them. Who does the calling? Jesus. So we know by contextual clues that's the word of the Lord, not the Holy Spirit. So I wrestled with that for an hour. I'm like, well, Lord, they're not, we don't have plans to go. They're not going anywhere for at least a year. And so as I'm struggling with that, and we keep praying. I get over to Acts 13, and I see what the Lord did there, even with Paul and Barnabas. He separated them so they could begin to make a preparation to leave the church at Antioch. And it was a spiritual setting apart. And from that point forward, the Scudders were definitely different in how they interacted here, though they were still in our church for one more year. We laid hands on them that night, though they did not move to Africa for another year. And what's even more amazing, and I think it's so sweet and precious, is that the moment I called them up, Brett and Bobby come up here and need to lay hands on you, they were over there cleaning up Chloe's vomit. Chloe was much younger then, and she had thrown up, gotten sick in service. And true to their servant's nature, they were just cleaning up puke in the middle of a prayer service so I didn't have to be distracted, which I think is a pretty cool testimony to the power of the ministry of helps. So that brings us to the supreme voice of God the Father. We're going to have to move through this quickly. The scriptures reveal that the utterances and declarations of God the Father are different in nature and occurrence than the Lord's or the Holy Spirit's. Granted, they are the Trinity, one God but three distinct persons, but each member of the Trinity has a different role and operation concerning mankind. And when I finish writing our doctrine, or excuse me, our curriculum on the Trinity, we'll go through that. God the Father has always been speaking through his persons and by his human servants, that is, his deity and his men and women. While on the earth, Jesus spoke the words he heard his father speak. 
Hebrews 1 says very clearly, God, that would be the Father, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, that means at different times and in different methods. He speaks in different methods. I probably should have started this whole curriculum off with this verse. God speaks in different manners. In times past unto the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So they are not many examples of the supreme voice of the Father in Scripture. And we wouldn't expect it because it's the most rare. Most of the divine voices recorded in the Bible are that of the Lord Jesus, even in the Old Testament. And I would say there's many instances of voices speaking from heaven, but context is not clue whether it's an angel, whether it's the Lord. There are several voices in the Revelation that come from heaven, and there's no distinguishing as to who it is. It just says, and a voice from heaven. Sometimes an angel speaks as a voice from heaven to somebody in the Old Testament, but when the Father speaks, it's very clearly revealed in the Scripture. The most prominent example of this is the Lord's baptism, Matthew 3, 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. So if this is my son, who's speaking? The Father, in whom I am well pleased. I like this, it's the Trinitarian verse, the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit's coming upon the Son, the Son's in the water. The total Trinity is in action to redeem mankind. How non-Trinitarians, oneness people can deny a Trinity with that verse, I have no idea. You have to purposely want to be ignorant when you see the Father speak from heaven concerning the Word made flesh as the Holy Spirit descendeth upon him as a person, it says. Of this, some people are just willfully ignorant. The Father also spoke to Jesus from heaven on occasion during his earthly ministry. John 12, 28. Father, glorify thy name, Jesus prayed. Then came there a voice saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the Lord's just praying. And he's crying out, Lord, glorify your name, which is probably a good way for us to pray. And I don't know if the Lord Jesus expected to hear the voice, but John's gospel records a voice spoke and said, I have and I'll do it again. It was pretty cool. Peter, James, and John heard this supreme voice of the Father while on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, while he, Peter, Peter yet spake, remember he built these, he saw Elijah and Moses and said, Lord, we should build some tents. It's a good thing for us to be here. He'd been asleep. He'd been asleep. These guys were always sleeping through their prayer meetings. You think they went to Engrafted Word Church or something? That was a low blow, wasn't it? He wakes up like some people wake up. Oh, yeah, that's good preaching, Pastor. They wake up, oh, Moses and Elijah are here. We should build tents for everybody. It's a good thing that we're here. Oh, well, where have you been, Peter? Yeah. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. It's not the Holy Spirit talking, and it isn't the Lord. The Father, this is my Son, hear ye him. Notice the, the Father tells us to listen to Jesus. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And the supreme voice of the Father is extremely rare. It would be possible to live a dozen lifetimes and never hear it directly. So don't be discouraged if you never hear it. The Father speaks from heaven as he sees fit. Furthermore, even though Peter heard the supreme voice of the Father, saw Christ transfigured and the spirits of Moses and Elijah, he still said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy than this. Whereunto we would all do well that we take heed. And we know he's speaking of scripture. 
as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He was relating that story in 2 Peter and says, Though I saw the Father or heard the Father from heaven speak, nobody can see God and live. Though I heard the Father from heaven, though I saw Moses and Elijah, and though I heard the Lord Jesus on that mountain transfigured into a glorified form, we have a better word of prophecy. The scriptures, which we would, he was talking Old Testament at that point. The Old Testament is better than hearing the supreme voice of the Father and the Lord Jesus speak on the mountain. Sort that in your doctrine, and now you understand why the base of our pyramid is the scriptures. Personal experiences, I related these a couple weeks ago when we started this. I am perhaps unusual in that I have heard the supreme voice of the Father twice in my life, and I can tell you from experience, they don't make you worth anything, and you don't expect them, and you don't turn them on, and you don't turn them off. Both of them occurred while I was in college. First, while I was a backslidden Baptist boy. The other was after I had rededicated my life back to Christ. It wasn't until years later that I realized the nature or uniqueness of these leadings. It was probably nearly 15 years before I realized what had happened with my college experience. In February of 95, I've told this story, but I was coming back from judo and jiu-jitsu and learned how to dislocate hips, I think, that night, or maybe shoulders. It was a major joint because until then I had daydreamed about breaking elbows. And that night I added something to my delusion. I'm not just going to break elbows. I'm going to dislocate every major joint and leave this guy as a rag doll on the bank of his lakeside property. That's some deep-seated issues. (laughs) I was returning to my dorm room daydreaming about exacting vengeance upon the church deacon who had molested me when I was 14. I heard a voice from heaven say very authoritatively, and I would say very unexpectedly, If it had not been for the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, you would be a homosexual today. I heard that as clear as someone standing behind me, and it froze me in my tracks. And I was not afraid, but I instantly knew I needed to forgive this man that I wanted to dismember. That was my first thought. I need to forgive him. He spoke that to me, and I knew I needed to forgive him. And I totally understood I could have been a homosexual through the molestation. That's how most gays become gays, is somebody violates them. That, that sexual violation opens up people to demons. And we have, you know, when you, when you fiddle with kids, you yourself have a demon. Pedophiles are demon-possessed. Even though our nation is pushing towards pedophilia, when they finally pass the law, which they will, because they're already determining that's a sexual orientation like homosexuality is, I have, I have said, and I'll continue to say, shotguns will cure pedophilia. When I told my parents, which is one of the things that saved me, I went to them and said, this happened. My mother said, did he rape you? Because if he did, I'll kill him myself tonight. Because he was friends of the family. She said, I'll get your father's shotgun right now, and I'll go over there, and we'll just all make this thing right. And I said, whoa, 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 mama, no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. I believe she would have. She'd have kept reloading. She'd have just made mush, because that's a mama bear. God bless my mama. <laughs> Amen. So the next thing I asked when I heard that was, what, what's the blood of Jesus? Because I had not been taught that, or if I had, it didn't stick yet. In August of 96, four others and myself were involved in a very devastating car accident that should have killed all of us. We all walked away, but upon exiting the car, I heard the same voice that I'd heard almost two years prior, and I recognized it instantly, a voice from way up high, yet so clear as to focus only 
to me, and he, all it said was, my hand is upon you mightily. Because I, I hadn't even really processed that the car, we should all be dead. I was just looking at the car, and then I hear this, and it made me weep. That was 96. Hadn't heard anything since. Don't need to. Don't have to. Don't want to, unless he wants me to. Having a relationship with the creator of all things means that you can expect to be led by him. Be prepared for an improved life as a Christian. As you learn to be led by your God, your life will only improve. And let me say again, even if you never hear the word of the Lord, which I'm sure you might, and if you never hear the supreme voice of the Father, which I said you probably won't, you still have four other levels to this pyramid to help you run your race and finish your course. And if you have four levels of the pyramid, the word of God, wisdom, peace, and the Holy Ghost, five preachers, and you still can't finish your race, you don't want to. Your fault, not the pyramid's fault. Father, we thank you for these lessons. Bless all those that are here. Bless those that listen by pod school in the future. Change us, Lord, and make us accurate for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.